We are Ben and Kathleen Struss, your missionaries to Bogor, Indonesia. Well, good morning, Church on the Rock. Hey, it's so great to be with you all this morning. Um, my name is Ben, and my wife, Kathleen, Caleb, and Levi, my sons, we are your missionaries to Indonesia. And um, I want to say a huge thank you to your church. Um, we, my wife and I, we got started in missions whenever we were um, in our 20s. I was 23 years old, and it was about 10 years ago. And at the time, uh, I didn't even have a baby at the time. And you were one of the very first churches to get behind us and have been a, with us on the journey for the last 10 years. And God has done so much. And so I'm excited to share an update with you all. And um, I always love coming to church on the rock. And I've I always think that you probably don't know this because you're here every week, but the spiritual temperature at Church on the Rock, it's always the same. There's a high spiritual temperature. I, I sense this authenticity that you want to go after God with all of your heart. And I'm just excited to preach because I'm excited to see what God um, wants to speak to you, what he might want to do, how he wants to stir your hearts. And um, I want to pray that that spiritual intensity that I sensed even in worship, I'm sure you sensed it too. I, I love seeing the young people in the front reaching out to God that um, I was even thinking as I was sitting here that every time I come to church on the rock I, I always have some sort of um, like unusual experience like God does something these these moments that that mark you that you look back on and uh, I, I remember one time sorry this isn't my notes this is just for free it's my church on the rock story but um, the one time I was really discouraged, it was in our first, we were just getting started out in missions, and I decided to come um, to the church. You guys had a Sunday night service. It was happening once a month. You guys were believing God for revival, and there was other churches that were gathered, and the place was packed. And I remember I was sitting like right over there, and uh, the, during that night, I, they prayed for me because I was a missionary that showed up to the, the prayer meeting. And um, after service, that day that I felt so discouraged, I remember thinking, why, why would I even get in my car like, and drive all the way to Church on the Rock? And I came anyway. And wouldn't you know, in that, one, in that moment, one of the people from the church came up to me and said that they wanted to sow a seed in every country on the planet, which I thought was amazing. And they gave me a check. And uh, I went out to the car. I thought, well, that's really nice of them. And I thought I would open it up. And, you know, maybe there, I, I saw there was a one and a zero on. I'm like, oh, that's nice. They gave me $10. And, and then I kept looking and they gave $1,000 to to see ministry happen in Indonesia. 
And uh, I could actually tell you other stories like that that have happened in connection with this church, but I just love being here. But um, what I want to do is just open us in prayer as God would set ourselves with an expectation as we hear the word of God this morning. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you, God, for being able to come to the house of the Lord today, God, to worship you. And God, we, um, we're just believing you to move in this service, God. We're believing you to speak to us, God, to stir our hearts, the passion inside of our hearts. That God, that that, that spiritual passion, Lord, that, that was stirred up in worship, God, I pray that we continue in the, in the reading and the hearing of your word, God. I pray that today, God, that people's hearts would be stirred to give to missions, that people's hearts would be stirred, God, to to go, Lord, to not just their community, God, but Lord, they be sent to the ends of the earth, God, to proclaim the good news of the gospel, to fulfill the great commission, God, in our generation, Lord. I pray, God, that there would just be an expectation, Lord, as we hear this morning, God, of what you're doing in Indonesia and around the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Um, uh, our family, we've been back in the United States for uh, the last three months or so, and uh, my kids have grown up in Indonesia. You'll see my kids after service running around. I have an eight-year-old and a six-year-old. Um, my oldest was six months old when we took him to Indonesia, and so people always ask us, how's that transition as a family? And I can say that my, my boys, they love the United States. Um, it's always funny to see what they point out. Um, just on the way in this morning, my son Levi was was really loving your fields. He loved the cornfields. He was asking uh, his, my, my wife, what are those fields? They were uh, soybeans, I think. He thinks it's amazing, right? It's like we grew up with rice fields, and the rice fields really are beautiful, these terraced rice fields. If you've never seen them, you can go ahead and Google it now and see what they look like. Uh, but they love those things. I, one of the things they love is water fountains. Uh, when we get back to the United States after a long term in Indonesia, the first thing they like to do is go push the water fountain. They like fight over who pushes it. And they think it's amazing that they can actually drink the clean water from the water fountain. My, my youngest, Levi, almost every week he makes a comment after church that all the kids can speak English in the kids' church. And uh, it's like the greatest thing. He's making so many friends every single week. And, of course, they love being near um, grandparents. But my kids are a bit confused about where they're from. You should ask them after service. If you ask my son Levi where he's from, he'll grab my wife or I and he'll tug on us. He'll interrupt the conversation that we're having and he'll, uh, he'll t- turn to us and he'll say, where, where am I from again? And uh, mom, the problem is mom is from Chicago, dad is from Pittsburgh. Levi was born in Singapore and we live in Indonesia. And so, but Indonesia is home for us. Um, I think we have a map kind of Indonesia. Indonesia, a lot of people don't realize how large it is. Indonesia is the fourth largest, most populated nation in the world. Um, most of us have heard about China, India. Number three in population is the United States. But number four is the country of Indonesia with 270 million people living there. Um, Indonesia spreads. It's an island nation, 17,000 islands, and it's spread from India all the way down to Australia. And across these islands are millions of people that have never heard the gospel. What a lot of people don't realize is Indonesia is actually the largest Muslim nation in the world. There's over 200 million Muslims that live in Indonesia. There's more Muslims in Indonesia than all of those Middle Eastern countries combined. When you think about Saudi Arabia and and, uh, Qatar and all those places, there's more Muslims in Indonesia than all of those countries combined. 
And one of the things that stands out to me that really captured Kathleen and I's heart when we moved to Indonesia is that there are still hundreds of people groups that have their own language, culture, and customs, and 227 of them are completely unreached. We call them the never reach, meaning that they'll never meet a Christian, they'll never see a church, they'll never hear the name of Jesus unless someone goes and tells them. And I believe that that's an injustice. I believe that every single person deserves the right to hear the gospel. Amen? That every single person, and that's what moved our family uh, nine years ago to actually get on a plane and move to Indonesia. And I'll never forget uh, moving to Indonesia. It was our first time there. We landed, we got off the plane, and we're immediately met with incredibly hot, humid weather. We're hearing a different language. Uh, those first couple months were very overwhelming. We didn't understand anything. We're eating new food. We're getting used to a new environment. We're driving on the opposite side of the road. And our first assignment was to learn the culture and language of the people. They speak a language called Bahasa. Everybody say Bahasa. There you go. That is a first Indonesian word. It means language. So there you go. You can speak a little bit of Bahasa. And in those first couple months, we would spend four hours a day in language school. And then we would go out, we would practice our Bahasa with our neighbors. And one of the things that was really helpful is that my son, Caleb, he has red hair, he had chubby little cheeks, and he was a magnet for everybody. And so we would walk around the village, and everybody would want to talk to us because they would want to pinch Caleb's cheeks, okay? And so one afternoon, it was maybe two months into learning language. Um, at that point, we could say, hi, how are you? What's your name? We couldn't say much. And we're walking around practicing our Indonesian when all of a sudden out comes this Indonesian woman that really wanted to get her hands on Caleb. And so she immediately grabs Caleb out of my wife's arms and holds him. Now that's relatively normal in most Eastern countries. I know it sounds odd here. What's not normal is what happened next, okay? She, we're in the middle of a conversation and all of a sudden we look around and Caleb is gone. I mean, he's nowhere to be seen. We don't know where they went. And so we, using sign language, are trying to find out from the person we were talking to what happened to Caleb. And they pointed down the street, and there was a party going on. We walked to this house, and they said that's where he was. So we get to this house, and there's probably 100 people gathered in a small house. They have a tent set up outside, and it was clear they were having a party. Well, now this woman, she does walk out of the house. She now has Caleb strapped to her body with a cloth baby carrier. He has a cookie in hand, and we're terrified, and he's having the time of his life, right? He's just eating cookies and having fun. And so we finally, we're trying to figure out, now, where, where did we find ourselves? What kind of party is this? Is it an anniversary party, a birthday party? Is this some sort of religious ceremony? And so we began this three-minute game of charades, and they're using sign language, trying to explain this party. And so they begin making hand motions like this, right? They're making like this, this cutting scissor thing, and then they're pointing like this, and we finally realized that we were at our very first circumcision party for the 13-year-old boy that was sitting on the couch. And uh, to say that we lacked understanding of Indonesian culture would be an understatement. 
there's people everywhere. There's such huge need. There's everybody, they speak different language, different culture, different everything. And we began setting out to try to answer the question, how do we reach all of these people? How, how can we ever make an impact? We, we knew that we could never do it alone. In our first year, we would take vision trips to different areas of the country, and we would ask God that question, how would you have us to reach Indonesia for Jesus? And on one of those trips to a city called Bogor, we, uh, we, we went there and we just prayer walked the city. We spent the entire day one, one afternoon uh, driving around, praying over the city and asking God, what, what could we do to make an impact here? And I'll never forget, as we sat down to dinner in that city, we were having, it was about 5.30 at night, and all of a sudden, I heard this sound. And for us in Indonesia, it's a sound that we've grown accustomed to. It's something that we hear five times a day. We hear it at, you know, five in the morning when we wake up. We hear it at 7.30 p.m. when we put our kids to bed. And five times a day, Muslims across the islands of Indonesia will bow their knee to a false god of a false religion, a god that can't hear them and can't answer them. And at that moment, I felt the Holy Spirit speak to me from the verse in Matthew chapter 16 that says this, Aku That I will build my church and not even the gates of hell will prevail against it. That we believed that if we could establish a church, that that church, we could mobilize people, the, the physical manifestation of the presence of God in that city, that we could mobilize people to reach out to their neighbors, their friends, their community, uh, the, the, the surrounding province, and that we could make a real impact. And I want to share about that today. I want to look at this passage of scripture. If you have your Bibles, you can open up. I think we also have it on the screen. Matthew chapter 16. Most of us are familiar with this when Jesus is walking through Caesarea Philippi and asks the disciples a powerful question. Starting in verse 13, it says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked the disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist and others say Elijah and so others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter, he answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for the for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. I love that, church on the rock, right? On this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. I want to share three things from that passage that we've learned in our journey um, over the last nine years in Indonesia, and specifically the last three years as we planted a church. Number one is that I learned from this passage that we got to go confidently because Jesus said he would build his church. 
right? Jesus is Messiah in this passage. He's the Savior of the world. And I believe that we can be confident that if we obey in going, Jesus will be faithful in building. Now, in this passage, Jesus asked the disciples a powerful question that I believe that even here in Huntley, Illinois, in the Chicagoland area, people are asking the same question. Who do people say that Jesus is? And the disciples begin to answer. Some people say that you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Elijah. Some say that you're a prophet of old. In Indonesia, when we ask that question, they believe that Jesus, in Arabic, it's Isa. Isa's in the Al-Quran. They believe that Isa is a prophet, that Isa is a good teacher, that he has some great moral teaching. Here in the United States, it's probably similar. But in Indonesia, they've yet to know Jesus as Lord and Messiah. We believe that if we preach Jesus as Lord and Messiah, that people will respond. That what the world is waiting is they're waiting for us to go confidently in that news. That what, that was a revolutionary, revelatory idea that Peter had in that moment. That Jesus was not just some prophet. That he was distinguished from all those prophets. He wasn't, he wasn't John the Baptist. He was something even greater than John the Baptist. He was Jesus the Messiah. We, um, in 2015, I'm sorry, 2000, yeah, in 2015, um, the city where we moved to, called Bogor, it was named the most intolerant city in all of Indonesia, all right? It, it's, uh, it, it has a really rough reputation. In fact, in Indonesia, there's one special region, it's a province or a state of Indonesia that's actually under Sharia law. Now, if you know anything about Islam, you know that Sharia law is the law that governs places like Saudi Arabia, right? And so Bogor, our city, is actually more intolerant than the Sharia law region, okay? So it puts in perspective. It's a city where they close churches. It's a city where they house extremists. It's not a place where they're very friendly to new churches and church plants. And you may be asking, like, why, why would you go there? Like, you're like, have you heard of this place in Indonesia called Bali? You know, like, why wouldn't you, why would you go to Bogor and not Bali? And the reason is because of passages like this, that we believe that we can go confidently to the darkest places on the planet because we believe Jesus is Messiah, the son of the living God, that if we will go, he will build. Amen. That if you go into your workplace, if it's no matter how dark, how carnal, how secular people may be, if you will go and you proclaim, people will respond. On November 3rd, 2019, we launched International Church Bogor in that city. And what God did was incredible. Um, On our very first service, we had 200 people in attendance. I think we got a picture of it. And the atmosphere was electric. In our first five months, we saw 50 salvations. We baptized a dozen people. And what God did was amazing. But we hold no confidence in our ability to win Indonesia for Jesus. But we're fully confident that if we proclaim Jesus as Savior and Messiah, that he will build his church. Here, here's one of the amen. Praise God for what he's doing and what you're a part of. Here, here's one of the things that you can maybe excre- you know, pull out from that story uh, that we can go confidently. Like, 
right now there, there's so many things that the church, as we go into our workplace, we go into our schools, we go to our universities that people have questions about. There's so many things that can be divisive. But I believe that what we need to do above everything else is hold up Jesus as Lord and Messiah. That if we do that confidently, that what we do is we preach Jesus. People will ask me sometimes when dealing with Muslims in a, in a context like Indonesia, how, how do you deal with, 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 with all the difficult Islamic questions? And what we say is we just point to Jesus. Jesus is Lord and Messiah, and we believe that if we hold him up confidently that Jesus will build his church. Number two, we go courageously because not even the gates of hell will prevail. Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now it's interesting in this passage, it's the very first time that the word ekklesia, that's the Greek word for church, is used in the New Testament. And Jesus says that I will build my church and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. It's interesting that Jesus frames the church in the context of a spiritual battle. It's, it's interesting what he doesn't say. He doesn't say that I'll build my church and you'll have some incredible social programs. He doesn't say I'll build my church and you'll have a ministry for everyone and everything. He doesn't say I'll build my church and it's going to be comfortable and everything's going to be perfect. He says I'll build my church and not even the gates of hell will prevail against it. You got to understand the context that Jesus is saying this. Jesus is walking along with the disciples in a region called Caesarea Philippi. And as he's walking, what the disciples are seeing around them are images to pagan gods. They're seeing temples to the god Pan. They're, they're, they're smelling the smells of incense and offerings that are being burnt to false gods of false religions. And they get to a place that was actually named in, old, in the New Testament, the Gates of Hades. I think we have a picture of it. In this place, there's actually a cave, and this cave had, had a river running into it. And the belief, the pagan belief, is that this was the Gates of Hell. That this is a place that if you go beyond this, you'll actually enter into the underworld. And so this is the context. This is probably where Jesus was standing. We said not even the gates of hell will prevail against the church. At this site, it was known in that time that they would actually make um, child offerings to false gods. And what I believe that Jesus was declaring is that his kingdom would be established in the darkest places on the planet and that not even the pagan gates of hell would come against it. That when you establish the church, you are establishing a physical manifestation of God's presence in that city. And here's what we believe, here's what we found in missions, is that kingdom advancement, people coming to faith, uh, you know, the people getting healed, what God wants to do in a particular city, in a particular country. Kingdom advancement, it's hindered for lack of courage, okay? That it's not hindered because of the pagan gates of hell. It's not hindered because of the evil. It's not hindered because of politicians or anything like that. It's hindered because of a lack of courage. The lost, they're waiting, they're ready to hear, but they're saying, who's going to be brave enough to open up their mouth? Who's going to be brave enough to go overseas? Who's going to be brave enough to take the gospel and to give them an invitation? One of the things that we like to do every single year as a ministry, as a church in Indonesia, 
is we like to take a mission trip. And I know that can sound kind of ironic. You're like, aren't you on a mission trip? And uh, that's sort of true. Um, but we like to go to a place in Indonesia that's difficult to get to where people have never heard the gospel. And it's hard to even fathom that, right? That today as we drove into Church on the Rock, we came from Wheaton. All right. If you know Wheaton, you know, it's like church capital of Illinois. Right. There's churches everywhere. And we pass all those churches and we're going through the suburbs. We're passing all sorts of other churches. But to fathom that there are still villages and places on the earth that after 2000 years of gospel proclamation have no church, no Christian, no gospel witness. And so two months ago, we took a, a trip to one of these villages called Wallafel. And when you go to a place like that, it takes some courage. You don't know what the response is going to be. It's pretty off the grid. It's a difficult-to-reach place. To put into perspective, to get the wall of full, you have to get on a plane in the capital city of Jakarta, and you have to fly eight hours to the island of Ambon. When you get to the island of Ambon, you get into an overnight ferry that takes you to the island of Buru. When you get to the island of Buru, you get into the back of a pickup truck that takes you up the side of a volcano for about two hours until you finally reach a small island village called Wallafel. This village has about 100 people in it, and they had never heard the gospel. Well, whenever we went, we had three nights of meetings. The very first day, everybody was a little bit weary of, you know, these outsiders coming in and what they were going to do. But we had our first night of meetings. And at that meeting, it was powerful. All of the kids from the village came. The adults, they decided to stay away, but they sent their children. And those children, was, the presence of God fell in the meeting. We just, we set up a tarp on the ground and the kids were just sitting there and the Holy Spirit came down, and the kids began to worship God as Savior and Messiah. They gave, many of them made a response and came to follow Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And it was so powerful that the second night, we had another meeting, and you could tell that the parents of the village, they took note of the change in their children. And so the women of the village came. And at that meeting, for three hours, we, we preached the gospel and shared about the scripture. And at the end of the meeting, we gave an invitation. And many of those women responded in faith to salvation. And three of them went into the river that's right next to the, the village and got baptized. That if you will be, yeah, praise God for that. That if you'll be confident and courageous in going, God will build his church. The very last night of our meeting... Everybody came out. It was a great celebration, and all of the men of the village were there. And the chief of the village, he made a declaration. He got up in front of everybody, and he said, I will not allow any other religion, any other denomination, except for the assemblies of God, to build a church in our village. And right now, there's a village being established in Wallafel, Buru, Indonesia, and it's because we believe that we can go courageously because not even the gates of hell will prevail. Listen, you've, you maybe came in and to this morning and you can think right now of that person that you've been praying over 
that you want them to respond in faith to Jesus. Maybe it's a wayward child and they're off doing their own thing and they're far from God and you maybe feel like you're walking on eggshells every single time you talk to them. You're not sure what to say, what not to say. Maybe it's a coworker, or a colleague that, that you know is hurting and you're, you're feeling that impression of the Holy Spirit and he's telling you to, to go talk to them and share Jesus with them and you're thinking, oh, but is this, is this PC enough? Am I allowed to do this? Am I going to get in trouble? Am I going to lose my job? All those thoughts are coming through your mind. I believe that kingdom advancement is hindered for lack of courage. That, that what, what we need to do is be courageous. We've got to courageously share Jesus with people, and I believe that Jesus will come through, that he will build his church. People will respond. We go confidently because Jesus said he would build his church. We go courageously because not even the gates of hell will prevail. And lastly, we go consistently because if we won't, who will? I can imagine Peter, as he's hearing this message, right, from Jesus. And Peter, the obvious spokesperson for the disciples, speaks up. He confidently proclaims that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And then Jesus makes this declaration that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And I can almost imagine for Peter that that became his mission statement, right? That's the thing that he went back to. He was always thinking about for many of you, I mean, can you imagine if Jesus came to you and he said, you are whatever, and I'm going to, through you, I'm going to do this thing. That's something you're carrying with you for the rest of your life. You're going to hold on to that. And I can almost imagine that Peter, when things got tough, he remembered that statement from Jesus. He said, I am Peter. And on this rock, Jesus said he would build his church whenever people weren't listening, when he grew discouraged. In fact, if you read the New Testament, you realize that this comes out, that, that Peter Believe it or not, he was human, and he got worn out. He got burned out. He got tired. In Galatians 6, 9, after talking about all of his disappointment with the Galatian church, how they've gone astray, how they did the exact opposite of what, of what Peter had asked them to do, Peter makes this declaration. He says, let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time you will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Everybody say, don't give up. Man, you cannot give up. That missions is one of these really exciting things that we get to be a part of. I tell people all the time, I, it's, it's the thrill of our life to be on the front lines of what God is doing around the world. But I would be kidding myself if I came up here and lied to you and said that I've never considered giving up. I mean, I, if it's just me. Has anybody ever considered giving up? Okay, just a few of us. All right, the rest of you are liars, right? Like, all of us... It, Anybody remember what happened the last few years? I mean, there was, okay. We all, I think, to some degree, considered giving up, just throwing in the towel, forget about it. But what happens, I believe that Peter, he, he consistently did the same things over and over again, day after day, month after month, year after year, and it was through that that Jesus was able to build his church. This is what it looked like in our context in Indonesia, okay, we, in March 15th, 2020, some of you remember that day, uh, we had to close our doors for about 10 months because of government regulation in, our, in Indonesia. And we had our very first uh, reopening service Christmas of 2020, and it was a beautiful service. Um, we had quite a few people that came. We rented an outdoor venue, and one of the families we invited to come was a Muslim family that were refugees from Iraq, and they brought everybody, man. They brought all of their kids. They brought, they brought some aunts and uncles, and they're all living in Indonesia as refugees, 
And it was their very first time, as you can imagine, to hear the Christmas story, to be in that sort of time of Christian fellowship. And so two weeks later, when we had our very first Sunday service back in person again, that very first service, we had 38 people show up, all right? Indonesians were still a little bit worried about what was going on. But one of the families of that 38 people was six of them were Abdullah and Shireen's family. And it was amazing to see them show up, still Muslims, maybe seeking, wanting to figure out what, what uh, Christian faith was all about. Um, the wife was still wearing the head covering, and um, the husband was still a devout Muslim. And they began coming to our services. And we just kept consistently doing the same stuff over and over again. We kept meeting with their family, going out to pray with them, asking them, following up, doing all of those things. And it took months to get to this point where we were able to actually present a Bible in Arabic to Abdullah. And he cherished that Bible. He began to read it. And as he read it, the Holy Spirit illuminated the words of Scripture. And God spoke to him. He began to soften his heart. And we were able to get him into an Arabic-speaking Bible study with other Arabic speakers. And they spent eight weeks walking through the Scripture. And at the end of the eight weeks, Abdullah made a very radical decision. He gave his life to Jesus. Can we praise Jesus for what God did in Abdullah's life? But it didn't stop there. After he made that profession of faith, on November of last year, Abdullah made the radical move to go into the waters of baptism, signifying that he was saying, I'm, I'm done with everything from the past and that my life is new in Christ. And I'll never forget the sobering moment when Kathleen was standing off to the side with his wife, who had yet to become a Christian. And Kathleen looked to his wife and said, do you understand the significance of what's taking place here? And his wife looked back at Kathleen and slowly nodded her head and said, yes, I understand. Because what you have to realize is that for a Muslim to come to faith, and not just come to faith, but go into the waters of baptism is a radical decision. That in a place like Indonesia, when a child is born, they're given an identification card. And on that identification card, it says religion. And so when you ask a Muslim, how did you become a Muslim? They're going to say, I was born a Muslim. And when they become a Christian, they're not just leaving their ID card away, right? They're, they're leaving their family. They're leaving financial security. In Abdullah's case, he's no hope of ever returning to Iraq. No hope of, uh, of potentially the, the finances that come from his family overseas. And they're making a full-fledged commitment that they're going to follow Jesus. This is what happens whenever we go confidently because Jesus is Messiah. This is what happens when we go courageously because Jesus said he would build his church. This is what happens when we consistently show up saying, listen, I'm not going to become weary and doing good. That I believe that at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Listen, we believe that we are just getting started in Indonesia. I, I know for your church, you're just getting started here. I love how this passage ends. It ends with a powerful promise that what, what Jesus says is that I have given you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. That whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. And I believe that in our city, our dream is that the spiritual darkness in Bogor would be forbidden and that the kingdom of God would be permitted. 
And I, I believe that for you here at Church on the Rock, that, that as you're building the church, as you're expanding, that you would say, God, we're, we're saying that spiritual darkness will have no part in our city. And the way that we see this happening in our area of Indonesia is two ways. Number one is that we believe we're going to see five churches planted in the next five years. We're going back with a vision saying we've done it, we've seen it happen once, and we want to see five more happen over the next five years. Second is that in a city, I've already explained Bogor, right, in a city that closes churches, we've been given an opportunity to rent 4,000 square feet of space in the center of our city, a very strategic location to establish a ministry center so more people like Abdullah can come to faith. And I want to thank you this morning for all that you're doing, that you've walked with us from the very beginning and to applaud you for, for saying we want to be a part of what God is doing overseas. And this morning, as, as, I, as I kind of bring this to a close, what I want to do is I want to pray for you that you would be challenged, but that you would, you would go courageously, you would go confidently, that you would go consistently, that those of you that maybe this morning you came in and you were that person that just says, I, I'm, you rose your hands, I ever want to give up, and you're like, yeah, I want to give up right now. <laughs> like, today was the day I wanted to give up. I, I'm not even sure how I managed to pull myself out of bed and to get myself ready to drag myself and my family to church, but we did it this morning, and I want to say that today I believe that God's going to fill you up. He's going to revive something inside of you, and if you believe that this morning, if you say, Pastor Ben, I, I, I want to I join you on that prayer. I just want to invite us all to stand to our feet this morning as I close us in prayer. And if, and if that's specifically you, if we could just close our eyes and bow our heads. You say, Pastor Ben, I've been struggling. I, I feel that way. If you could just raise your hand and say, Pastor Ben, pray for me. That's a step of faith. Let me see those hands. You say, pray for me. I'm ready to just throw in the towel, give up. I see those hands going up all over the place. With those hands raised, I want to pray for you right now. God, I lift up my brothers and sisters in this room, God. Lord, that maybe it was a struggle just to show up this morning, God. That, Lord, that, that they've got stuff going on in their life. Lord, that no one knows anything about. And maybe they feel like they're walking alone. They feel like they've been on this journey in isolation, God. And I, I pray, God, that they would realize this morning, being a part of your church, that they're not alone, God. That, Lord, that you give them incredible promises from your scripture, God. That says that they're the head and not the tail. That they're above and not beneath, God. I pray, God, that you would put that inside of their heart, that they're a royal priesthood, Lord. That you, you can walk in faith, God, knowing, Lord, that you can move mountains in front of them. God, whatever the situations are that they're walking through, God. And I pray, God, that as a church, church on the rock, God, would continue to be a place that has a fire that burns, Lord. A, a place that has a spiritual intensity, God, that, that is noticeable, God. A place that has intense authenticity, God. That, Lord, that you would move your kingdom forward right here in this community, God. That they would go confidently, courageously, and consistently to reach those that are lost. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen.